<clears throat> well, uh, again, happy, uh, happy Resurrection Day to you. Um, obviously, a lot's happened today in the past week, but I hope it's been a fruitful time for you, uh, but also a challenging time for you to reflect and see the goodness of the Lord and knowing that something that happened 2,000 plus years ago is still relevant today. And uh, in that, we take encouragement, and in that, we take pride, because that is the power of the gospel, that this single message has revolutionized, has changed the entire world. And so part of my job tonight is to encourage you, to reinforce certain truths of the scriptures to you, to help you, especially um, in your faith, because I know I need this as well. So the topic, or the the title of my sermon for this, this evening is called Living in the Power of the Resurrection. And what we're going to do is over, uh, look at a survey of biblical reminders for the Christian life. And so hopefully by the end of tonight, um, you will just be reminded of what God has done for you and what he's accomplished. And so with that, I do want to open up with a word from our, our friend, the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, and we're going to read a few verses there. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, his cause is to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that a tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than that, than that of gold, more precious than gold that perishes through though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When Peter is writing this to the church, Imagine what he has just went through as a disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ. We like to pick on Peter a lot. You know, he's the disciple that we're like, why would you do something like that? Why would you deny the Lord? Why would you strike that person on the ear? Why would you do all these extreme things? Peter, to some degree, is a reflection of us because our faith at times can be like that. Rocky, up and down, sometimes inconsistent, and sometimes it's just kind of confusing. And there are times where you read through the Gospels that Peter himself is praised to be the only apostle to get it, but then later show himself confused again. Peter is a perfect example of what the Christian faith looks like, but he's also a perfect example of what a believer looks like in Jesus Christ. Remember, in his history and his life and his relationship with the Christ, the Messiah, he did deny the Lord. When the Lord needed him most, he 
did leave him. But what happens? The Lord interceded on behalf of him and he restored their relationship. John tells us they talked three times, reminding him, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus tells him every single time to feed my sheep. And what do you have here? Peter acting on behalf of us, feeding his sheep and reminding us that no matter what situation you're going through, it's worth it for your faith. If you read towards the end of verse 8, it seems like Peter also kind of reminds or remembers what Jesus was talking to Thomas about a couple weeks ago. When doubting Thomas was struggling with his faith, and Jesus later ends that excerpt there saying, blessed are those who, have, who believe, yet they have not seen me. Maybe Peter has some recollections or remembers what Jesus was talking about at that time. Though you have not seen him, church, that's us, you love him. And though you do not, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice because the power of the gospel transcends something that is physical right in front of you. Jesus came here to not just fix the physical, but the spiritual. And so with that, let us turn to the Lord in prayer and ask, us, or ask him to help us tonight, but also encourage and edify our faith because we need it. We need this. So let us pray. Our Father and our most gracious God, Lord, you are good and you are kind. You've given us life today to celebrate the life of your son, Jesus Christ, and he is worth celebrating. He accomplished what no other man could accomplish, and he willingly went to the cross and died for sinners, though he did not need to. Oh, God, he did not need to do that for us, but he did. This was all according to your plan, the great act of redemption, and Jesus did it, willingly taking the shame the ridicule, the mockery, and he dies. But God, you saw it fit that your son's life was the perfect sacrifice on behalf of sinners like us, and he satisfied everything that was required in eternity past, in eternity present, in eternity future. Jesus, the great high priest, is alive, and he is the Christ, and he is the Messiah, and his message is worth talking about, it's worth living for, it's worth dying for. Oh God, we need your help because we are weak and feeble people and we forget at times the power of the resurrection in our lives and so we ask you tonight to help us, oh Lord, to focus solely on you and on your Christ. We love you, oh great and mighty God, so work in our hearts. Allow us to learn to see and worship you. In Christ's most holy and most precious name that we pray, amen. It was on this day 2,000 years ago that the greatest miracle in human history took place. There's never been a situation like this before where a dead man was brought to life. Yes, there were talks amongst the crowds, the disciples, the religious leaders that showed an understanding of a resurrection or a coming resurrection. But this was mostly tied to their talks of the last days. 
While Jesus was present on earth, he was responsible for several resurrections. The Gospels record these events for us, and they go into great detail explaining each event. But have you ever thought to ask yourself, why are these events recorded for us? What's the point of Jesus bringing back the life of the widow's son in Luke 7? Or Jairus' daughter in Luke 8? Or Lazarus, Lazarus in John 11? In fact, what's kind of confusing in that passage in John 11 is that Jesus intentionally waits a few days to heal Lazarus so that he won't die, only to show up late and with him dead. But, as many of us know, something incredible happens before the crowd, the disciples, and even to a dead man, Lazarus. At the command, in the words of Jesus Christ, he calls out, and a dead man is brought to life. So what's the point of these signs, or what's the point of these miracles or events? The point is this. They are signs. These are signs to show us that a greater resurrection is coming. The author of life is here. He is present on earth. He is the one with the power, the control, and the authority to give life or even take it. He is the one who will finally conquer the problem of sin. God in the flesh of Jesus Christ has invaded earth and he is now with his people. But we know how the rest of the story goes. We know that it was over a week ago on Palm Sunday before Jesus was crucified when Jesus was heralded as king by the people as he entered Jerusalem. The crowd seemed to get it. They see Jesus as their king. They wave the palm branches and sing his praises. They're dynamic. And they love him. But Jesus isn't fooled. He isn't distracted by the fame or the praise of mankind. In fact, he knows that in a little over a week, his own will eventually reject and condemn him. The crowds who were just shouting Hosanna will soon shout, crucify him. But again, this is all a part of the plan of redemption. Jesus proves to us why he is better that he, why he is the better Adam, the better Abraham, the better Moses, and the better David. He shows us that it's better to do the will of his Father, where simple obedience is the way to go. In all of his complexities, simple obedience is the way to go. He isn't distracted by the fame or the praise of mankind. The Messiah willingly proceeds towards his death. And he never, never once looks back. He takes the problem and the curse of sin head on. No other king in the history of Israel has ever attempted to do something like this before. But Jesus does. No other prophet attempts to do something like this before. But Jesus does. So, with a simple affirmation, acknowledging who he is while Jesus is on trial, he sentenced to death, acknowledging that he is the Messiah. Jesus then endures the pain, the mockery, the betrayal, the loneliness, the, the depression, and the sin of the world, as John tells us, on his shoulders. This is, in fact, 
what a true king does. He goes to battle on behalf of his people. The author of life is still in control. Even till his last breath, where the gospel writers remind us that Jesus has to give up his life so that he can die. Even at the very end of his life, Jesus was still fully in control. And he waited, as the gospel writers tell us, till all was accomplished before he gives up, before he gives up his life. This Christ, this Messiah, this King, then says, it is finished. And the gospel writers tells us, he gives up the ghosts and he dies. But again, we know the story doesn't end there. And the story continues. The greatest miracle to ever take place in human history takes place in the, resur- in the resurrection of the, the Son. Here too, like Lazarus, a dead man is raised to life. Jesus has been raised from the grave. God the Father accepts the Son's sacrifice. And the problem, the curse of sin has finally been defeated. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why we celebrate the the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive. There is hope for you and for me today. And you rest in knowing that the Messiah is no longer dead. So as we work through tonight's sermon... It's in the last statement where, we're, where we will spend the majority of our time answering a question. As believers in Christ, what does it mean for you to know that Jesus is alive? It is my fear that many of us have fallen for a misunderstanding on the implications of the resurrection. Oftentimes you hear of Christians only, only celebrating the fact that their ticket has been punched and that they're going to heaven. I know this to be true because at one point in my life, I too fell for this misunderstanding. If you were here tonight and professed the name of Christ as Lord, your eternal security, which is huge, is really only just a piece of the pie. There are other things that we tend to forget. And tonight, I want to remind you of those things because you certainly gained something when Jesus was resurrected from the grave. I want you to have the utmost confidence in knowing that not only did Jesus die for you to have a place in heaven, Jesus died so that you might live. You can live for him right now. You can live for him here. And you can see his work powerfully in your life on a day-to-day basis. In fact, this is what we need today more now than ever in our 21st century Christian uh, situation. We're so confused with what basic Christianity is today, especially in Western cultures, that all we care about is just going to heaven. And that is a good thing. I do, I do believe so. But it is not the only thing. We need to live in the power of Christ. So the main point of this sermon is simply this. I want to remind us as believers believers in Jesus Christ, of the things that you gain because of his resurrection. So I'll survey some passages in scripture to help remind you of these truths and promises that are guaranteed for us through Christ. Listen to this reminder and let it be encouragement to you. 
We don't have to live a defeated Christian life. In fact, we can live a life, we can live one life that is vibrant and effective in the kingdom of God on earth today, even in the midst of trials and tribulations. And yes, it's easy to say that at times because we know life is full of seasons. But even in the midst of trials and tribulations, you don't have to live defeated because you have a Messiah who's alive. I want you to have confidence. And the confidence that you will have will come through some biblical truths and a set of reminders. And so here is reminder number one to encourage you and myself. Because Jesus lives, you have new life. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. There seems to be a lot of talk in the New Testament about this new creation by Jesus. Remember what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Jesus introduces him to an understanding of new creation. But what is Nicodemus' reaction when he hears of this new creation or being born again? He, Nicodemus, he doesn't understand. A natural man cannot understand the things of God. Isn't that what Jesus says? But that's okay. What new creation means for you is exactly what Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Where the old has passed and the new has come. So let me turn there real quick and just read it for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This, of course, is an echo to what the prophets of old prophesied. For example, let's read Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Here the prophet sees a day where the old will also pass and the new will come. Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 31 through 34. The prophet speaks, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each, each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. And get this, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The prophet sees a day when the old will pass and the new will come. He also sees a day where the hearts of the people will now seek to love and obey Yahweh. All will know, all will love, all will serve, and all will obey the Lord. His people will finally do this. And lastly, he also sees a day when the people of God will be forgiven. If you are a Christian today, you are a new creation in Christ. This means that the sin in the past, the life that you had in the past, is forevermore in the past. What you have now is a life that is reborn, and you can learn how to love 
and obey and serve God. This is, of course, a reality for you today. So how can you apply this reminder? Being reborn in Christ means that your life is no longer your own. You have been reborn under the image and the authority of Jesus Christ. Instead of finding a checklist of things to do, you instead live. You learn the teachings of Christ and you apply them to your life. For example, there are many of us whether we want to confess it or not, who struggle with sin. There are men, and even maybe some women, who are struggling with lust and pornography. You can show that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ in how you fight against this sin. There is victory in the cross. You can cling to him. You can trust him. And you can live with him. The battle against sin is worth it because you saw your Messiah battle for you. And you trust him. So can you fight the sin of pornography, of lust? Absolutely. And a reminder for you is that you can do it in the power of Jesus Christ. It can be defeated. And it will take a lot of time and a lot of hard work and a lot of prayer. But if you're a new creation... You do this because you love the Lord, you love the Messiah, and you know he's greater than your sin. You might be a person who struggles with pride or arrogance. There is no room for boasting when you look to the cross. Repent. Find your freedom and power in the cross of Jesus Christ because he's the only person that's worth exalting or putting on high. He accomplished a work that I know I could not have accomplished. And we all must confess that we could not either. You might be a person who is hiding behind religion versus a relationship. And how often many of us, we find ourselves there. There's freedom in Christ for you to be set free from this fear so that your relationship with Christ is real. It is genuine. You believe in him. Being a new creation means that you live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not die for us or for you to fall back into your weaknesses or sin. Church, and I'm talking to myself, he died so that you might live. And we can. Reminder number two, because Jesus lives, you can worship him in spirit and in truth. There was an encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Oftentimes we tend to miss the point of Jesus' encounter with this woman. It's not the fact that Jesus knew this woman's entire personal life. But the point is this. This woman, who was a Samaritan, was genuinely seeking truth. And in their dialogue, Jesus gives her a hint of what's to come. The woman is not only intrigued by what Jesus says... We later see that she accepts what Jesus says and shares with her village. The scripture tells us that because of her faith and her sharing, others come to faith. The point of reminder number two is that true worshipers of Yahweh will worship him in spirit and in truth. This is reflective of a new heart and a new will. 
In those days, true worshipers of Yahweh were those who went to the temple. But something drastically changes when Jesus is risen from the grave. The Gospels tell us something significant happens. The curtain in the temple is torn in two, signifying that the new age has come and the old has now passed away. Those who are born of the Spirit can worship the Lord virtually anywhere. You don't have to make a long extended journey to the temple to worship the Lord. You don't have to keep yourself ceremonially pure to worship the Lord. If you have a heart that is changed, purified by the gospel, you can worship him right here and right now. So how can we apply this reminder today? We can worship the Lord everywhere. This means we can worship him while we are at work, while we are at, we are at home, while we are at church, while we are in the community. We can sing praises to God and speak to him any time of the day. There are no limits, no restrictions. There's no reason why you can't enjoy the Lord consistently on a day-by-day basis. And I'll confess, it's tough at times because we're still in this flesh and we have that tension. But this is a reminder that in spirit and in truth, we can enjoy the Lord all the time. Don't make the excuses that so many often make. In fact, I hear every single week, I'm too busy. I just can't seem to make enough time to pray. I, can't seem, I, I, I just can't make enough time to read. I can't make enough time to share the gospel. They may be good excuses, but ask yourself, are they really excuses? You can enjoy the Lord right here And right now, all you have to do is just do it. Live. Stop making the excuses because I know I make them. And if you are honest with yourself, maybe you make them as well. But the relationship with the Lord is sweet like milk and honey, and it is good. And you can enjoy him. So we remind ourselves that we can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Reminder number three, because Jesus lives, you have been rescued from sin. And sin has been defeated. For many of us who've grown up in the church, you know that it is because of sin a person has to die. Which is why we read Romans 6.23. We'll be reading 6.23 of Romans. Therefore, because Jesus is alive, there is a strong declaration that you have been rescued from sin. The coming judgment in Revelation 20 is not for you. It's actually for those who reject the gospel. Sin, as much as we like to cover it up, does cause issues, though. We see it not only in our lives, but we also see in examples of Scripture. We see where sin breaks relationships. It causes disruption in the kingdom of God. And it's not what God desires. But we have been freed from that. Jesus has saved you. He has saved the church from that. For again to remind us. So that we may live. Don't continue to live in sin. And hear the warning of Paul in Romans 6. That we should not continue to live in it. Because Jesus lives. You've been rescued from sin. 
Sin has been defeated. You can live a life today that is reflective in knowing this truth. Run away from it. Find life in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is there you will finally learn how to live. Sin does not introduce life. It always introduces death. And so fight from it. Fight it. Reminder number four, because Jesus lives, you are recognized as a royal priesthood. This language may seem foreign to us, especially many of us, many of us who do not have a Jewish background. But as we can tell from the scriptures, the priests had a few jobs, or they had a job description. Part of the jobs of the priests were to teach the people, in Leviticus 10, serve as judges in solving controversies, Deuteronomy 21, offer sacrifices in Exodus 29, assess impurity, impurities in Leviticus 13, burn incense in Exodus 30, bless the people in number 6, bless God in Deuteronomy 10, keep the tabernacle in Numbers 3, take care of the altar in Leviticus 6, prepare the holy things for each day's journey, number, Numbers 4, Continue the sacred fire and blow the trumpets. A royal priesthood. Because Jesus lives, this responsibility is now for you and for me. It's no longer restricted to just ethnic Jews. It is for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The priests were the ones who had the rights or the sacred access into this religion. Just the priests, to some, to some degree. But because Jesus lives and because Jesus breaks down these barriers, the responsibility now is for you and for me. You are a royal priesthood. Peter takes up this idea and reminds us of this in, in, Peter, in 1 Peter 2, where he says, you are a chosen race, not just ethnic Jews, you are a royal priesthood. We are now a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What Israel was supposed to be back in those days, the church is supposed to be today. The way you live, the way you act, we demonstrate this priesthood matters. Israel was called to be a holy nation. But now the church, under the leadership of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he has entrusted that to us to do likewise. Our names, our identity has now been redefined for the sole purpose of reflecting the excellencies of God. Your job description now is to be like a priest and resemble him in everyday life. That is a good reminder for us. Because you are no longer just a regular person under the image of God. You are a priest. You have a relationship with God. You have special access to God that has been granted to you on behalf of the Christ, the Messiah. Reminder number five, because Jesus lives, we can celebrate his life and how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
It's interesting that whenever the Jews would partake of the Passover feast, they would recall the things of the past in the Exodus. The whole reason why they celebrate this feast is to remember what God has done for them. But in days past, when the Lord partakes the Last Supper with his disciples, he does something different with this meal. Jesus focuses on the things to come and the things that are to come. He celebrates with them the coming of the new covenant. There is a future celebration for you and for me. We can celebrate the Lord's Supper with a mindset like Christ. Because Jesus lives, there is reason to rejoice. The celebration of the Lord's Supper is a reminder for us that we are declaring to one another and also to the world that Jesus is our Lord. Sharing a meal with somebody in the first century had several implications. In fact, if you were to share a meal with a person, it was implied that you had complete fellowship with that person. You were therefore associated with them and their company. What's unique about the Lord's Supper is that following the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the church partakes in this meal. What is the church made of at this time? It's made of a people from different social and ethnic classes. Rich people, the middle class people, poor people are partaking of this meal together. And to make the point even further, Jews and Gentiles are seen breaking bread together. Two enemies have now been reconciled. Relationships have now been reconciled. Under the headship and the authority of the Christ, the Messiah, and we all toast to the Lord because he is God. The gospel has reconciled all social classes and ethnic groups in which we see in this one meal. We all profess that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is alive. And so as you partake in the Lord's Supper, you're celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive. The power of the resurrection is for you. The work that Jesus Christ accomplished was powerful. He told us that it was better for him to go so that we would have someone to help us. We've been entrusted with the power of the Holy Spirit, and in that we are guaranteed and granted power to do things that are not natural. Just think about this. With you having a passion and desire to fight sin and reconcile, you are demonstrating and, and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. That is supernatural. The natural man cannot do things like that. So what can we do tonight? Let's go ahead and just bow our heads for a second and just reflect on these reminders to encourage us in our faith before we partake of this meal. These reminders are for you. They're in the Holy Scriptures to give us faith, to give us hope that everything that was promised to us has been accomplished by Jesus Christ. Jesus knows that this life is dark, is dreary at times, and we may fall into temptation. But we can fight it.
you can overcome it because that's the power of the gospel. The resurrection gives us an understanding and it gives us the evidence that sin has been defeated and we likewise can live in that power. And so as we celebrate this meal, let's reflect and celebrate the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. He died so that you may live. So let's live. Amen. Thank you.